0: Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Perhaps you've been riding in the car with your friends, the radio's turned on, and you're singing at the top of your lungs. You ever done that? It's great until you sing the lyrics of the song and your friend turns to you and says, what in the world did you just sing? That's not what the song says. Those aren't the lyrics. What what did you just sing? I bet you every single person in this room probably has a story. We could go around and you could say, oh yeah, this is what I sang to this song. And that would be funny. But when you add another element to it, what about... Misunderstood lyrics to hymns. It's a whole other element of funny. You can say all kinds of things about God through misunderstood lyrics. I think of the young six-year-old girl who thought there was a hymn that they would sing in church about iced tea. That's right, iced tea. She would be picked up from school every day and brought to her grandma's house where her grandma would Be working in the kitchen and would be belting out just belting out her favorite hymn. It wasn't until the little six-year-old girl sang the song in church that her family realized how she misunderstood what Grandma was singing, because the girl sang at the top of her love, at top of her lungs. Love Lipton tea, love Lipton tea. (laughs) Who knew the hymn could be so refreshing? Or that iced tea could be so salvific. Perhaps uh, you've done something similar to the toddler who, at bedtime, his parents are trying to put him to bed, and he asks a question. He, he says, um, what types of snails are dangerous, and which of my toys are dangerous, too? His parents says, what are you talking about? And the toddler says, you know, the grace song that, that we just sang? Through many dangerous toys and snails... Now, before you're too hard on the boy, I, I'm not going to embarrass you by asking how many people in here have actually sang Amazing Grace and said, who saved a wrench like me? <laughs> you thought, somehow God put auto mechanics in this song. He's amazing. That's Amazing Grace. You can have a wrench like me. You can imagine the confusion on the parents' face as they walk up to their their daughter, and they see the daughter had taken construction paper and had cut out and built these little chairs and little tables and had placed them around the nativity scene up on the mantle. And then off to the side, she had made this this little man kind of look like an elf off to the side of the nativity scene. And the the parents said, "What, what does this mean? What are all these chairs and tables? And who is this man? And the girl says, you know, it's it's from the song. This is John. They said, John, what, what song? And the girl said, you, you know the, the song, Around John's Furniture, Mother and Child. <laughs> misunderstood lyrics can be funny. But today, in today's message, I think you're going to also learn that misunderstood lyrics can be dangerous, especially when there are lyrics about the character of God himself Misunderstood lyrics can be dangerous. The very picture of God, the very nature of God can be marred through misunderstood lyrics. To help you understand where we're going before we even get going, I want to ask you a question. Does God forsake people? Does God forsake people? Are there times where You are either so sinful or you have turned your back on God so much that God says, I will never again face you. I forsake you. Now, I know what's going on in your mind right now. There's an argument going on in your mind. No, God is love. God's always there. He's always available. But wait a minute. The pastor asked, does God ever forsake people? And inside your mind, the other argument's coming in to say, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. Who was it that said it? Oh, yeah, I know who said that. Jesus said that. The Son of God himself, hanging on the cross, yelled out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You've read that in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, and you've said, yes, if God would forsake his own son, of course he would absolutely forsake a sinner like me yeah God forsakes people Jesus said so well I want to share something with you today that might shake you to your core Jesus never said that Jesus never said my God my God why have you forsaken me you're saying pastor of course he did it's in the Bible don't you read the Bible I I, I have once Or a million times. I have to tell you today, Jesus never said that. He sang that. That's right, on the cross. Jesus did many things that we know of, but did you know Jesus sang on the cross? Perhaps you did, perhaps you didn't, perhaps this is new to you. You knew that Jesus died on a cross, you knew he hung on a cross. You knew he said some things on the cross, but did you know Jesus sang on the cross? Some of you didn't even know Jesus was a singer. Absolutely he was a singer. Imagine with me, Jesus pinned to a cross, pulling himself up, trying to get a breath of air, just enough air to begin singing in his dry yet still majestic voice the richness of his voice singing out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a song. Do you, know, do you want to know what the tune sounded like? So do I. That's one of my thousand and one questions. When we get to heaven, we're not only going to get Jesus together, we're not only going to ask, hey, David, you're the musician in the Bible, it's time for special music on Sabbath. We're not only going to drag David up onto the platform to give special music, but we're going to ask, can you please tell us Sing for us. What was the tune to hymn number 22? That's right, hymn number 22. In the hymnal of Jesus' day, hymn number 22 had its notoriety. It was not as famous as hymn number 23. You know hymn number 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the the hymn that we want to sing. It's the beautiful hymn. God's there. He's faithful. No matter whether we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with me. We like those songs. Hymn number 22, well, this is kind of more during David's blues period. It's not a happy song. It's a sad song, which is basically like saying every other day for David. David being an artist was quite manic-depressant. You don't have to read very far through the Psalms to see that almost every other psalm is either way to go, God, and then you read the next psalm, and it's, where'd you go, God? Up, down, up, down, up, down. So we know him, number 23. We know it by heart. But many of us do not know him, number 22. And in our series going through more than words, a study of the psalms, I want you to understand something. Jesus hanging on the cross sang a song, a song that the people would have recognized, a song that they had sang for generations. And Jesus, in that moment on the cross, gets just enough air to sing the very first line to hymn number 22. Why? Pretty easy. If I were just to say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, your mind would immediately say, who saved a Wretch like me. Thank you for not saying wrench. If I were to say, would you be free from your burden of sin, you would immediately say, there's power in the blood. Exactly. When you start a song, people can't help but continue that song, to sing it in their mind. And as Jesus was there, he wanted the people to sing a song, a song of David. And so as the people there at the cross heard Jesus begin this song, they continued the lyrics in their mind, and I want you to hear the lyrics that played through their mind. And I want you to open up your Bible, or your Bible app, or a pew Bible, but it's best if it's your own Bible, because you're going to want to take notes. That's right, you're going to want to outline, underline, whatever you got to do, highlight this so much, you're going to steal the crayon from the kid next to you just so you can do it. But that's okay just give it back. The song, Jesus starts out Psalm 22, verse 1. And how do we know Jesus is singing this song? If you look at the place where Jesus says it, there's a little superscript right there. It's been there all along. Some of you are going to say, how did I miss this all my life? But right there in the marginal notes, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right in the marginal notes, it says Psalm 22, verse 1. It says this is what Jesus was doing. And so Jesus starts Psalm 22, verse 1 with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning? For sake of time, I'm going to jump down to verse 7, where in the minds of the people around the cross, they sing, All who see me, mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And the people around the cross hear someone say those very words. And then verse 9, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you, even at my mother's breast. Here's this guy that says he's God. We don't believe he's God because he came from a woman's womb. We jump down to verses 14 and onward where it says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shard. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And as they get to those lyrics, they hear Jesus say, Can I have a drink? And someone brings him vinegar instead. It says, You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Now I've got a big question for you. When did this ever happen to David? When were all of his bones out of joint? When were his hands and his feet ever pierced? When Did they divide his clothing? When did they cast lots for his clothing? When did this happen to David? You're right, it happened on the 32nd of November. It never happened. Never, ever happened to David, which tells us something very important. I've known all my life, you've known all your life who David was. David was a shepherd, David was a singer, David was a songwriter, David was a lion slayer. David was a bear slayer. David was a giant slayer. David was a king. But did you ever think David was a prophet? God had invested all these other ways. Did you know God had invested into David prophecy? This never happened to David, which tells us something else. God himself wrote these words. God himself inspired David to write these words. God himself sang those words from the cross. God the songwriter wrote these words. Not David. God wrote this. It also tells me something else. It tells me we have to ask another question. Because as we get to this point in the song, if we stop right here with verse 1, the first half, Of Psalm 22, we are left with a picture of a God who's not very nice. Why do I say that? It's easy, let me just ask you a question. All of you here, raise your hand. If, If when your child is in their greatest time of need, when your child is in pain, calls you and says, I need you, how many of you in here as parents But forsake your children and avoid them. I'm not seeing any hands. I'm not even seeing one hand in a balcony. So let me ask you this question. Are you telling me you're a better parent than God the Father? Because if you are, that's heresy. Because God is love. Jesus himself said, you who are humans, if you know how to give good gifts, how much more does your Father in heaven know how to give good gifts? Jesus himself from his own mouth said, if you've seen me, you've seen there's no difference. We've created a difference here. We've created a difference between God the Father and God the Son. We say God the Son is a lovable huggable God. He's the one you approach. He's the one we can't wait to see. God the Father, who? He's the God of justice. He is more concerned with justice. In fact, when we get to heaven, we look forward to hugging Jesus, but God the Father, boy, we hope we don't really catch his eye because he's the stern God of justice. I don't know. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and God is love. There is no difference in character between God the Father and God the Son we've got a problem here. Because I know what's going on in your mind because I've been plagued with this as well. I know what's playing out in your mind. Some of the very words that are going through your mind is about pastors, seriously, pastors. When Jesus was on the cross, the reason why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was because in that moment, there was separation between Jesus and the Father. And in that moment, as Jesus bore your sins and my sins, the sins of the world. For all time, he represented sin. And God has greater, more purer eyes than to look upon sin. God couldn't bear to look at the sin, so he turned his back and turned away. There was separation because God cannot even look upon sin. He's of purer eyes. Have you heard that before? Oh, I've heard it. I'm embarrassed to say I've preached it. But I also have to tell you, as a conservative theologian, which means I am unwilling to add anything or take any anything away from the precious holy scriptures. That you cannot find in scripture that we serve a God who forsakes anyone, much less His Son. More than ten times in Scripture, God says, "I will never leave you nor forsake you." We got a problem here. We got a problem here because we look at, at this moment of Jesus on the cross and we say He was forsaken. Because God couldn't even bear to look at him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So let me ask you you it this way. When Jesus was here, God in the flesh on earth, how did he react to sin? In the presence of sinners, did he have to say, oh, no, please, stand beside me, stand behind me. My eyes are too pure to look upon your sin. Did he ever do that? No. Did he ever put on surgical gloves and a surgical mask because he was afraid that some of the sin might get onto him. No. How did Jesus, the Son of God, respond to sin? He looked sinners directly in the eye. He touched sinners. He touched the people who had infirmities. He embraced sinners. He surrounded himself with sinners. He ate with sinners. God himself, could bear to look at sin. So we obviously don't have the full picture. We need the bigger picture. I love the commercial years ago. You see a woman sitting in a car, minding her own business, when all of a sudden her door is jerked open and a tough-looking man grabs a woman and drags her out of the car. And immediately you think, what's going on here? This is horrible. This woman's being assaulted. And then the camera backs up. And you see that her car is on fire. And the man was not assaulting her, he was rescuing her. And then the voiceover comes in. You need the bigger picture. Channel 10 News has the bigger picture. (laughs) Friends, today we need the bigger picture. Because if we stop the song right here, with all the things that we've read in in the first half of Psalm 22, we get the picture of a God who does, in fact, not only forsake his child, but allows his child to go through the most horrific torture known to mankind. So we need the bigger picture, and I challenge us to continue the song. Because the first half of the song is about what's happening externally, what's happening around Jesus at the cross. But then when you get into the second half, the second verse of Psalm 22. It's there that you get to see what's happening on the inside of Jesus. Outside is the external, first half. Second half, you get to see the very heart of God. And so we pick up this song in verse 19, where it says, But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. For sake of time, we jump down to verse 24. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. All the time that we've said God had to hide his face from Jesus, turn his face. Jesus, who wrote these words and inspired David to to pin them down, says, no, 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 no. He has not hidden his face from him but has listened to his cry for help. Verse 25 and onward, for you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly before the throne, uh, excuse me, before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. Jesus knew this time was coming. Even at the time of David, God who knows beginning, middle, and end wrote down, yes, it's gonna be tough. It will be a time that it looks like I am completely forsaken. But I'll tell you this, God the Father and I are willing to go through it all to fulfill our vows for you because we've pledged an allegiance to you and we will not be unfaithful to you. We will fulfill our vows. He goes on to say in verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Jesus is saying at the cross, I'm not just dying for the Jews. This death is not just for my chosen people, all the nations of the world. Because of what I'm doing, I've not only pledged allegiance to you, but I pledge allegiance to all the Gentiles as well. Amen, because I'm a Gentile. He goes on in the song, in verse 30 and 31, and as the people around the cross are, are wrapping up the lyrics of the song in, the, in their mind, and they've seen all these things that are part of the lyrics around them, and it's really, it's really spooky to them. They're, they're coming to a realization of what's actually happening on the cross. And in verse 30, it says, Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. Did you know that you are written into Psalm Psalm 22. Because before it ever happened, God said, future generations will be told about the Lord. In fact, they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That's us. And as a song begins sinking into the people around the cross, Jesus pulls himself up for just a partial lung full of air. He's getting to the end of the song. Everyone's singing the song in their head. And right when they get to the, the last phrase of the song, they sing in their mind, for he has done it. And Jesus lets himself down and says, it is done. Jesus begins a song on the cross and praise God, he finishes that same song on the cross. He's done it. He's done it for you. He's done it for me several years ago when I was serving uh, as the chaplain for Pacific Union College. I was there for six years. And and during one of the Friday night programs, these students had a great idea. And I couldn't wait to see how it was going to work out. But we had them do something that you usually tell students not to do. We told them to turn on their phones. Turn on all your smartphones. And then they lowered the light in the sanctuary. And then the student leaders up front Began saying, you know, as we go through these prayer requests, if you agree and you want us to pray for you personally for this prayer request, we want you to raise your phone during that time. And so they began the prayer and they, and they prayed for stress. Anybody here who has stress, uh, we just give it all to you and a bunch of phones go up. And any of you with studies and it went up. And then, any of you about health, you have some health concerns and some, some phones went up and they went on and on, relationships. And then they got to one prayer request. And the prayer request was this, if you felt like God let you down this week, raise your phone. And I was curious what two or three students might raise their phones. Out of about 850 to 900 students, I turned around from my front pew vantage point, and at least 75% of the students' phones were held up. I, I, I wanted to jump up right there and have a whole nother sermon. You can probably guess what I talked about the next week. When the majority of the people feel like at any point in their life, God can let them down, there's a problem with theology. Because we serve a God that will never leave you and never forsake you. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Some of you are saying, but pastor, are you saying you, you can't be lost? No, I'm not. Because the Bible also teaches us that you can be lost. But you're not lost because God gives up on you. You're lost because you give up on God. You are not lost because God has forsaken you. You are lost whenever you forsake God. But the beautiful thing about the God that we serve is He is a God who will never leave you and never forsake you. You are not lost because God forgot where you are. You're lost because you forgot where God is. In fact, one of the best scriptures for us to wrap this whole discussion up on is also another scripture that has two twos. It's 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 to 13. And in 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13, it says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. That's good news. Uh, If we endure, we will also reign with him. Wow, that's more good news. But then, if we disown him, he will also disown us. Uh Uh-oh, pastor, you're giving us the bad news. Let me ask you this. Who was disowned in the Bible? I can hear about uh, maybe Peter, who disowned Christ three times and You know what it is, three strikes you're out, right? After Christ rose from the dead, did Christ wait for Peter to come to him? Or did Christ go to Peter and reconcile one who had disowned him? And it's because of verse 13 that Jesus did it. It says, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful? Yeah, for he cannot disown himself. It's just in God's nature. He can't help it. No matter how faithless you are, he cannot be faithless back. It's just not part of him. He cannot disown that part of him. He has to remain faithful to you. It's in his very nature. It's just his character. The same God who died for you, has pledged allegiance and sang a song of allegiance to you, I will fulfill my vow. You, the future generations, will recall this scene, will sing this song, and you will know that he has done it. God will never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. In your greatest moment of pain, you sang a song. Help us, your children, to continue that song for generations to come until you come again and take us all home. And let us remind everyone who will listen that you will never forsake us. You will never leave us. You will do everything that's necessary until it is finished. Amen.